Well, hi, folks. This is Dara Star Tucker. This is the I'm All Over the Place podcast. I'm happy to be sharing with you another episode of the breakdown from KJLH. In case you are unaware, I now have a radio show in LA on KJLH. And I've been doing some commentary on a lot of the issues that I talk about on the breakdown. And I'm sharing those episodes with you here. This is allowing me to be consistent in sharing content with you. Make us a part of your schedule. Make the I'm All Over the Place a part of your weekly schedule. I really enjoy connecting with you in this way. And I hope you all are appreciating that these episodes are now coming weekly. Now, I will let you in on a little bit of a trade secret. You all are getting the extended cut. What I do for the radio, I keep that really tight. It has to be kept to a tight 25 minutes. Can't go beyond that. With you all, I don't have a time limit. So I'm including a lot of extra information, a lot of commentary for you all that I cannot include for the radio audience. So that's also the really cool part of getting to share this with two different audiences, sharing it on two different platforms. I go into much deeper detail about certain aspects of this conversation than I was able to on the radio. More of the historical context. I do more music samples. I love being able to do this sort of extended director's cut for you guys and really share the full episode as it was intended to be shared. And as always, there is a version of this podcast on YouTube if you actually want to watch the podcast. It's really just me sitting in a chair talking to the camera, not any earth shattering visuals or anything like that. But if you prefer to do the YouTube version that has visuals, you can do that on my YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash Dara Star Tucker. I want you to do one thing this week for me, if you can, and that is rate the podcast. Go to whatever podcast platform that you listen to I'm All Over the Place on and give it a rating. That really helps us to come to the attention of more listeners. It helps tremendously. I also want to remind you all about the Patreon. If you go to patreon.com forward slash Dara Star Tucker, and I'll put the link in the description of the podcast, but that is one way that you can consistently support the work that I do. I am completely freelance as a singer and as a content creator. I love what I do, but it is not not possible without the support of people just like you who are appreciating the content. So I want to encourage you all to become patrons if you can and rate the podcast. Those are two ways that you can support the work that I do. I'm so glad you're here. And without further ado, here is the next episode of the I'm All Over the Place podcast. This one's called Beyonce and Black Country. Hi there, folks. I'm Dara Star Tucker, and this is The Breakdown. Thank you so much for tuning in to The Breakdown here on KJLH. I'm so glad to be joining you once again this week to have conversations about the issues that matter. You can find me on KJLH's Instagram page at Radio Free KJLH. If you are not following KJLH on Instagram, I would encourage you to do that. Plug in and engage with KJLH in ways that are going to add value to the music and to the information that you hear on the radio. You can download the app. You can visit the website. All kinds of ways that you can get involved with KJLH outside of just listening on the radio. You can also get involved with what I'm doing at Dara Star Tucker on most platforms. That's Dara with one R and star with two, except on Instagram, where I am Dara Tucker B, the letter B. I want to let you know that I may be coming to a city near you. I'm a singer, I'm a performer, and I also do a lot of instruction and informational things along with those musical performances. So I may be coming to a city near you. If you're going to be out on the East Coast or in the South anytime soon, Check my website, DaraStarTucker.com, to get more information about where I'm touring. I'm coming to Fayetteville on the 2nd of March. I'm going to Tulsa, Oklahoma on the 7th of March. I'll be in Nashville on St. Patrick's Day, March 17th. I'll be in D.C. on the 22nd of March playing at Blues Alley. 
oldest jazz club in the country. And then I will be in Philly at South Jazz Club on the 21st of July. So I've got several shows in March, and then we skip ahead to July. I'm sure we'll be filling in more dates between now and then. But that's what we have on the calendar so far. Go to DaraStarTucker.com or go to any of my socials and click the link in my bio, and you can find out more about my schedule there. I would love to meet you in person. If you are a KJLH listener or if you're a listener to the podcast, please come up and let me know because I love to talk to you all. So what are we getting into this week? We talked last week about the legendary Miss Nancy Wilson. I kind of want to shift the focus this week to one of our contemporary heroes, and that is little Miss Beyonce Knowles from Houston, Texas who, as a lot of you know, has released a country single. She's released actually a couple of country singles. And one of them is getting a bit of airplay on country radio. I say a bit of. It's getting a lot of airplay at this point on country radio. But I kind of want to talk about what Beyonce is doing right now in terms of her foray into country music and how that is being received by the country community and how some of these racial dynamics are playing out. I'm sure a lot of us have heard some of the controversial statements that have been made around Beyonce's country album. And we're going to kind of examine like how much of this, first of all, is media hype? Is there is there really a controversy? That's kind of one of the questions that I always like to start out by asking when I'm examining these so-called uh, scandals or dust-ups that happen, particularly in the social media age. Some of the stuff is just downright hype, and maybe it is not as controversial as we have made it out to be. So how much of it is real? How much of it is manufactured? And then let's get to the why. Let's kind of ask some of those questions beneath the surface, because you all know when I talk about issues like this, I love to provide historical context and to help us kind of contextualize these issues and understand why we are where we are. Beyonce is an innovator. She's going to continue to innovate. But obviously nothing that she does happens in a vacuum. Everything has historical context. So let's jump into that. This ain't Texas. As many of you all know, black folks had a huge hand in the development of the country music genre in this country. So what's the big deal? Why is country music so white at this point? Why is this something that we are seen as being separate from the categorization of race music and how black people were sort of pushed into the corners in terms of the industry and were not allowed to really develop lucrative careers in the way that a lot of the white early bluegrass players and singers were. Radio segmented black and white people off into two different corners and the careers of those white artists who were doing what would have been hillbilly music at that time that developed into country music, the Carter family and many others, Bob Wills and people like that were allowed to develop careers and actually support themselves and become known and sell records where a lot of black folks who were making folk music or they were doing blues music or where they were making what would have been country music at that time were relegated to race records that really were not promoted and they did not sell in the same way that those early hillbilly and folk albums sold. So there's a history there of black folks being shut out of the industry and really ghettoized in a way that did not allow their careers to develop in the same way that white artists did. But then you still have this perception of white musical purity and black folks kind of contaminating that genre. And we don't want to allow any of that outside influence when a lot of what they were doing came from what black artists 
were doing already. They were taking all of these elements from black music and then creating something that supposedly was their own and then shutting black people out of it. So it really is a thorny, very prickly history there and brings up a lot of ill feelings, understandably, around issues of exploitation and cultural appropriation. This is deep stuff. And I have my own history with this thing. I've mentioned before that I lived in Nashville, Tennessee for 13 years. I moved there originally thinking that I was going to write possibly for the country music genre, or at least for Americana, which at that time was not nearly as huge as it is now. But country Americana has really been a huge part of my musical education from early on. I grew up with a lot of gospel and CCM, but I also grew up with a lot of Southern gospel, which is essentially Christian country music, really traditional sounding Christian country music. So I think listening to a lot of that Bill and Gloria Gaither stuff and the Martins, and really, if you know that music, which not a lot of black folks are really interested and that kind of thing. I had an unusual upbringing in that way, but that really acclimated me to a sound that allowed me to appreciate a lot of Americana, folk music, country music. I've always had a bit of an interest in that kind of music. I perform in what a lot of people categorize as the jazz genre, which was a really interesting thing to be doing in Nashville. But I did find the music industry in Nashville to be quite closed off. And it was kind of a good old boys club. If you didn't know the right people, if you weren't hanging out in the right places, you were not going to get opportunities that allowed you to make any sort of inroads into the industry. And I knew it was going to be difficult. I knew that going in, but I don't think I really realized just how much of a barrier there would be with me being a black woman, just the fact of that and people not perceiving of me as someone who would be writing for country artists, not to say that it hasn't been done before. But you're really bumping up against some serious barriers, psychological barriers, not just industry barriers, but psychological barriers in the minds and in the hearts of people who are gatekeepers in that industry. So it became apparent to me after a point that I was going to have to write in this really formulaic way, which I was not interested in. I wanted to focus on my own artistry. So I did that. And I'm glad I did. But I say all that to say I have some history with this genre. I have some history with the industry in general. And so I approach this from a very specific point of view. Now, I will say, too, as far as the music industry goes, it is all hard. It's all difficult to break into the music industry in any way, shape or form. You have to assume that they just don't want you there. Just assume they don't want you. It's the same as breaking into acting or any part of the entertainment field you're going to feel like your presence is not needed or wanted. You really have to have that fight in you in order to push past those barriers. And country music is no different. As a black person in country music, that is going to be multiplied tenfold. And you hear that consistently from a lot of the black artists who have managed to break through in recent years. Not to mention that if you're black, automatically people in the industry want to, I used this word earlier, they want to ghettoize you into very specific genres. You automatically are assumed to be R&B or hip hop or jazz or blues or some other genre that black people are historically associated with. And again, with that history of race records, race music, and this music being pushed to the margins and to the sidelines, that is not just an innocuous categorization for someone to say, you are not country, you could not be country, you can only be hip hop or R&B. 
that is also affecting your ability to earn the kind of money that a country or a pop artist would earn. So there's a long history of this kind of thing in the U.S. The question is, is Beyonce beyond this? Is she able to rise above that and push past that? I mean, she is Beyonce. She pretty much does whatever she wants. Right now, if you don't know, she's releasing a three-part album trilogy to basically reclaim the music that Black people had a major hand in developing that has been co-opted and that we've been edged out of, which I think is a really, really cool pursuit. I find what Beyonce is doing right now, the song itself, this Texas Hold'em song, I just find it to be so wholesome and it just makes me so happy. I don't know why, but I love what Beyonce is up to right now. This song debuted at number one on Billboard's Hot Country Songs chart. She is the first black woman to achieve this. And I personally really like the song. I haven't listened to it a ton, but I'm on TikTok a bunch, as you guys know. And this song is huge over there. They're creating dances to it and they're doing the TikTok thing with it and they're blowing it up. Now, it's not an unfair thing to ask, is this country? Is this a country enough song to be on country radio? If there is resistance to playing the song on country radio, do they have a legitimate case? Is Texas Hold'em legitimately a country radio song? Well, as I said, I have a history of listening to and really liking a lot of country music. I'm not plugged into country music these days, but I stopped and took a listen to several country songs that are popular right now on country radio. And I'm going to play snippets of several of those songs, and you're just going to kind of take in the sound of what is happening right now. I'm going to play this for you, and you determine for me whether or not you feel that what Beyonce is doing right now with Texas Hold'em fits into the general musical landscape of what is happening in country radio, because that's a fair question to ask. So is she plugged in with the sound of country radio? Let's take a listen to just several hits right now that have been on country radio in the last, let's say, year or so. Okay, so taking in that sort of musical landscape of what is happening right now in country, and I I think I'm probably not the only one who is not super aware of what's happening in country. So now that we've gotten our ears a little bit familiar with what is going on in country right now, to my ears, what Beyonce did with Texas Hold'em and her production team, of course, did with this song, to me, to my non-expert ears, does fit in pretty well with what's happening on country radio. If this group of songs that I just played is a pretty good sampling of what country sounds like right now. If this were not Beyonce, I don't think it would be questioned at all whether or not this is actually contemporary country music. Now, there's a site called SavingCountryMusic.com that did a whole long uh, essay on Beyonce's new music and whether or not it fits and whether it should have been accepted by Billboard to be on that chart. And according to them, this type of hybrid country that she's doing, because obviously this is not a deeply authentic, traditional country song. This is Beyonce's version of what country music is. But according to them, this kind of hybrid country thing that mixes country with, I think they really meant 
hip hop and R&B because we were hearing a lot of that several years ago. But according to this blog, SavingCountryMusic.com, which is a pretty popular country music blog, a lot of that mixing and melding with R&B and hip hop music with country is not happening as much right now as it was even a few years ago. Even according to Rick Beato, who's a really popular YouTuber who talks a lot about music, not specifically country music, but he talks a lot about music in general. He looked at a study that talked about how much R&B and hip hop are being featured even on top 40 radio. And that ratio has gone way down in the last few years. There's a whole lot more guitar. There's a whole lot more rock. There's a whole lot more country that's being featured, even with pop music. The influence of those 808 beats and that Atlanta sound, the hip hop, the R&B that seems to be dominating the charts right now is actually becoming less and less popular. So that may be some of the resistance that we're hearing to Beyonce's song being played on country radio. We've always had country music that was crossing and mixing and mingling with pop and with rock. Harper Valley PTA comes to mind from 1968. Dolly Parton's 9 to 5. Ode to Billy Joe, Bobby Gentry. They were all on the country and pop charts at the same time. And the way I see it, a lot more black artists should have been able to occupy the country and pop and R&B charts at the same time. Someone like Tina Turner, to be honest, comes to mind. I think Tina Turner very easily could have made inroads into country music, but people just didn't see her that way. Tina Turner is from Nutbush, Tennessee. How much more country can you get than that? And the same with Lionel Richie. He did have Three Times a Lady that he did with the Commodores. But if you listen to a lot of Lionel Richie's music, it is very soulful. But a lot of it's country at the same time. Stay with us. We'll be right back. It's Joseph M. Wanted with the Constitutionalist Politics. Tune in for the upcoming episode for May 4. Issue, never the issue. As well as, yes, Peter Serafin. Rosemary Downer, Don Gallade, Gista the Rapper, Cy Young, Jason Perry, and upcoming Jack Hagar, Andrew Thorpe King, Trent Rock, Ed Temple, Chris Morehouse, and more. Please tune in to Constitutionalist Politics. God bless. Sail on down the line, but half a mile of soul. Easy Like Sunday Morning, that could have easily charted with country music. The Commodore song Still, same thing. And Lionel Richie, of course, famously wrote for Kenny Rogers. He wrote his hit called Lady. Lady. And while we're at it, Dobie Gray's Drift Away. That is a country song, in my estimation. It did not make the country charts. Why? Probably because the man was black and they just didn't think of him as a country artist. So even when we do write and record authentic country music, it is very rarely recognized as such. So as far as Beyonce's Texas Hold'em song goes, some of the questions I like to ask when situations like this arise of just, oh, there's this big dust up around Beyonce's song and, oh, they don't want it to be played on radio and everybody's resistant to it. The first question I ask is, how much of this controversy 
is contrived. First of all, we have to question the media, I think, at the foundation. Is this a real controversy? Are there a ton of country fans who are saying, we hate the song, we don't want it to be played on country radio, make it go away, she doesn't belong here. Well, I think you definitely have a contingency of folks who are going to create a stink. I mean, this is the age of social media. If you're paying attention to Twitter and using that as your gauge for what the public is and is not accepting of, you are always going to find a certain element of controversy. But I think Beyonce's career is strong enough at this point, especially with the Beehive going into action in the way they did. I don't think this really had the opportunity to turn into a real controversy in the way that it could have if she had been someone who did not quite have the pull that she does. But the Beehive was not having any of this. Obviously, once they found out that she was releasing a country album, it was like, of course, she will be played on country radio. Of course, she will be number one on the hot country billboard chart. Of course. And I'm sure we all heard about this Oklahoma City radio station, KYKC, that someone on Twitter reached out to and said, hey, are you guys going to be playing the new Beyonce song, Texas Hold'em? And they wrote back and said, this is a country station. We don't play Beyonce. And of course, once this hit Twitter, the Beehive went into action and the station was pressured into putting her music on their radio station. Now, for the record, they did say that whoever responded to the email didn't realize that Beyonce had country music out. They thought the person was just generally asking like, hey, are you going to play some Beyonce music? Supposedly, they didn't know that Beyonce had a country album out. So they rectified it once the Beehive did their thing. Now, whether or not Stan culture has a positive impact on our society, that is a question for another day. But Beyonce's fans did what Beyonce's fans were going to do. And within a week of its release, it was debuting at the top of the charts, as we all would have expected. Now, I'm sure that we've also heard about the comments that Bo Duke made. I think it was Bo and not Luke. I used to have a crush on Bo Duke. He is, oh man, he has turned into such a disappointment. Anyway, John Schneider is his real name. Bo Duke from the Dukes of Hazard made some comments and he's a, a country singer himself, but he made a really offhanded, just nasty comment on the OAN network, which is the network that is even to the right of Fox News. It's too extreme even for some of the cable carriers that have taken it out of its lineup. These are people that promote election denial and all kinds of silly things. So John Schneider was on OAN and said something about Beyonce doing country music and doing all these different genres, being tantamount to a dog peeing on all the trees and marking its territory. It was just a vile comment that he made. And John Schneider, of course, got into trouble not too long ago for saying that Joe Biden deserved the death penalty. He's been a super right-leaning guy for a long time. So there are always going to be these outlier types who have something negative to say. But is this the general perception by most country fans? I haven't really heard these kinds of comments come from just typical country music listeners. From my point of view, again, being a musician and having dealt with the music industry to some degree, I already come into this understanding that breaking into a genre that you normally don't make music in, there's going to be resistance already. That's already an uphill battle. Her being Beyonce means that she can pretty much do whatever she wants. But gatekeeping in any genre is a very real thing. If you want to be taken seriously, they want to know that you are committed to this music. You're not just playing dress up. You're not just slumming. You're not just here to take what you can and leave and move on to your next thing. So I think part of it is that. Part of it is just, this is a pop music queen, an R&B music queen. She's not authentically country. She doesn't take this seriously. She'll be done with us once this album is over. But I can tell you, even with the genre that I'm a part of, which is jazz, if you are perceived as someone who is just playing dress up with the music, 
that is generally looked down upon. And if you're mixing that music with other influences while you're doing that, then be prepared to get some pushback. But I can tell you from personal experience, the country music world is notoriously cliquish. The whole business is based in Nashville. And if you are not writing with Nashville songwriters, good luck being taken seriously. It's like New York with jazz. The city itself represents a lot of the perceived legitimacy. And I even had a Facebook friend who said, I wish that Beyonce had come here to Nashville. This is a black dude. He's a musician, black dude said, I wish that Beyonce had come here to Nashville and actually taken time to write with Nashville songwriters so that she would be received and thought of as someone who was taking this seriously. And from his point of view, again, this is a black dude who sometimes does produce country albums. But from his point of view, he said what it sounds like to him was that she was just doing a pop album with banjos on top of it. And if you're not someone who listens to that genre, then to you, Pop music with banjos on top of it may sound like country music. To someone who's actually a part of the country music business, maybe it doesn't sound like country to you. So that's the other element of it. It's the Nashville pipeline. If you are not seen as having that Nashville pedigree in country music, you can already expect that to some degree you are not going to be taken seriously as a country music artist, period. So that's Beyonce. That's her specific album in this specific era. But let's back up. Let's widen the lens a bit and ask some bigger questions about country music. Is country music a genre that is closed to black artists? Is country music a racist genre? Well, as we know, black artists were at the heart of the development of hillbilly music, of country music. It would not exist without black people. And Ken Burns, I think in his documentary about country music, which I haven't seen in several years, but he did a really good job of pointing out the fact that people like AP and Maybelline Carter were mentored by a black man named Leslie Riddle, who taught them how to play guitar. Hank Williams was mentored by Rufus T. Top Payne, black man. Bill Monroe, the father of bluegrass, was mentored by a black man named Arnold Schultz. And Johnny Cash, the man in black, was mentored by a black man named Gus Cannon. We've been here all along. The banjo itself, which was a staple in early bluegrass and folk music, was made from West African luges, which were made from gourds that were brought to the United States during the slave trade. Country music derives as much from field hollers and work songs as it does from European folk songs and mountain music. And really, if you listen to someone like Chuck Berry, a lot of his early sound was as much country as Jerry Lee Lewis or Elvis or the Everly Brothers, who were having hits on both the pop charts and the country charts at the same time. Maybelline, which was one of Chuck Berry's earliest hits, was adapted from the Western Swing song called Ida Red, which was performed by the Western Swing band Bob Wills and his Texas Playboys all the way back in 1938. So Chuck Berry, in my mind, was as much country as anybody was, but he wasn't thought of that way because he was black. He just wasn't accepted by that world. Now, black artists have been able to break through from time to time. Ray Charles obviously had one of the greatest country albums of all time, Modern Sounds and Country and Western. You give your hand to me and then you say hello. It was a groundbreaking album, and he's obviously one of the very few black folks who's broken through and has made any sort of mark in the country world. But of course, he was on to being Ray Charles after that. He did not stay in that genre. He went on and, and continued to do his soul music. Charlie Pride was really the first legit black country superstar. Kiss an angel, good morning, and 
But after him, you really have to wait another 30 years or so before Darius Rucker is able to break through. But now, of course, we have people like Jimmy Allen and Kane Brown and Mickey Guyton. I'm better than you let me. I'm better than that are gaining success in the country music world. But really, those successes are only happening because country music has been criticized for so long for being so white. And they know it. They are trying to rectify it slowly but surely now. I have a friend named Wendy Moten who has a long and illustrious career singing background for all sorts of people. She had a pop music career back in the 90s. She uh, was on The Voice recently and she has launched a career as a country singer. She's working with Vince Gill and some others, but it's been an uphill battle for her. And of course, like I said, music industry, period, is an uphill battle. But even having the backing, as Wendy does, from someone like Vince Gill and having sung backup for people like Winona Judd and Blake Shelton, she still has an uphill climb ahead of her. Now, I want to point out that Black artists have always had a place in country-adjacent genres like blues, soulful Americana, traditional gospel. You're talking artists like the Blind Boys of Alabama, the Fairfield Four, newer artists like Yola. The War and Treaty, Leon Bridges, Rhiannon Giddens. There's kind of always been a place for those sort of swampy Delta, Southern Black artists that feel regionally tied to white artists of the same ilk. And this is a genre that's huge in Nashville, and they were really on the cusp of accepting Black artists and pulling them into the fold with that type of music more so than traditional country has been. Now, the other question that I would ask when I'm trying to get underneath topics like this, in addition to, is this a real controversy or is this a media-generated controversy? The other question I would ask is, is this really something that black people care about? Do we care about country music or is this really just about Beyonce? Because how many of us are really listening to country music going, I really wish there were more black people singing this music. You know, I'm, I'm really enjoying this. I'm loving it. But I just want to hear more black voices. I don't think a lot of us are listening to country music. Is it because there are not more black voices for us to listen to? Maybe so. I do know this about us. I know that we tend to innovate and move on. Black people tend to innovate and move on. White folks are latching on to things that we were doing 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. For them, it feels fresh. They feel that they are innovating. They're having all the fun in the world. But black folks were doing that a long time ago and have moved on to innovating something new. With jazz, same story. With rock, same thing. With country, with blues, all of those genres that were vilified when black folks were doing them, as soon as we moved on to something else, then they were gentrified and suddenly they became acceptable to the mainstream. It's a pattern. It's been going on since popular music began in this country. And I don't think it's going to change. As resistant as a lot of us are to some of the newer music that's being put out there right now, 
Black folks are still at the cusp of innovation of what is happening right now in music. And a lot of the things that are being put down right now as being trashy, as being corrupting influences on the culture, all of that stuff is going to be taken in 5, 10, 15 years. And you're going to have white artists that are doing the same thing and calling it something different, probably. But I think the bigger issue here in terms of black folks and country music we don't like being told what we cannot do. Just like anybody, nobody likes being told what they can't do. We don't like being denied entree anywhere. And we shouldn't be. We innovated with this music. We should not be denied entree. Do we care about country music on the whole? Some of us do, but I think largely a lot of us have moved on. We're not really listening to country music like that. But I think fundamentally what we want is the right of return. If we want to come back to it and revisit it and possibly innovate further or simply financially benefit, just like everybody else is, we want the right to do that. We should not be shut out. I think that's the fundamental position. So this particular dust up, from my estimation, is really mostly about Beyonce. It's about the beehive and Beyonce, and she deserves that respect. It's not really about black folks desire to just dig in deep to country music. I don't think most of us really have that desire. Most of us probably won't be listening to a ton of country music when Beyonce is off the charts, even to listen to more black artists, probably not even to listen to Mickey Guyton, who's another black woman that's making country music right now, or Kane Brown or Jimmy Allen. A lot of black folks don't even know or care who they are. We just don't want to be shut out. There is no reason that we should be shut out. That's the bigger issue. This cross-pollination of country with other genres is nothing new. Beyonce is not doing anything that hasn't been done before. Linda Ronstadt had a couple of country hits in the 70s, and she was kind of a pop rock queen. She did It's So Easy. And she did Blue Bayou, which is one of my favorite songs, but both of those songs charted in country music. There were even some Bee Gees hits that made the country charts. Tennessee Ernie Ford, all the way back in 1955, did a song called 16 Tons. You load 16 tons, what are you getting? That song charted on both the pop and the country charts. A lot of Elvis's stuff, a lot of the Everly Brothers stuff, a lot of that early rock stuff was charting on both pop charts and country charts. This is nothing new. But when black artists do it, when the genre that it's being mixed with is R&B or hip hop, it is going to be judged by a different standard. It's going to face a higher level of scrutiny just because it's a black artist. And this harkens back to some real old school racism, black music being seen as a contaminant to the purity of white morals. I ran across this clip of some white folks back in the 50s describing the corrupting influence of black music. They are saying the things that these new school racists can't say. It's kind of refreshing almost because these new school racists have learned how to house all of their racism in this politically correct language. You know, I don't see color and we're all the same. I don't care if you're black, yellow, red, purple or what. Listening to old school racism is almost, almost refreshing. But this is a lot of where this stuff is coming from. This idea of the purity of white morals being corrupted by these contaminants from black culture. We've uh, set up a 20 man committee to do away with the, this vulgar, animalistic, nature 
rock and roll bop. Our committee will check with the restaurant owners and the cafes to see what uh, Bebop Records is on their machine. They'll play the record and then just use their judgment in whether they should come off or not. Asia Carter of Alabama organized the boycott on Bebop. We consider it a plot to undermine the moral standard of the Anglo-Saxon race and place him on the level with the Negro. I know that I shall not contribute money by purchasing of products from any man, white or black, who is contributing to my knowledge to the integration, the degradation, and the mongolization of the white race. So we know what we're dealing with here. Whether Beyonce putting out this country album helps other black artists in country music, I kind of doubt it. I kind of doubt it has that effect. I think it's going to help Beyonce, which is great. Is this really about black people in country? I don't think it's really going to necessarily answer any of those larger questions, but it does spur on conversations like this, where we can start talking about the history of black people in country music. We have always been there. We were innovators in this genre. We are going to continue to innovate. And Beyonce has every right to be doing what she's doing. She's a trendsetter. Everything that she does is done at such a high level. If she's making a country slash R&B album or slash pop album, it is going to be one of the most amazing country slash R&B albums that has ever been made. That much we know. But I think one of the most positive things that can come out of this is that we're able to have conversations like this, where we reaffirm our connection to the music that has built this country. We have been there all along. We are still there innovating and we are not going anywhere. Thank you all so much for listening. I am Dara Star Tucker. That's Dara with one R, Star with two. You can find me on all social media platforms under Dara Star Tucker. On my Instagram, I am under Dara Tucker B. You can share these episodes with your family and friends and continue to have conversations about the issues that matter. Thank you so much for joining me on this week's episode of The Breakdown. I'm looking forward to seeing you next week. And until then, let's learn to shout. Shout.